now. Do I have your full attention? Screw you. Hello to Yogi. Hello to Boo Boo. Hello to Scooby Doo. Barney and Bradley. Don't forget your goat leggings. Well, par me all over the place. There's always magic at the movies. What's in the basket? So, um, news story I just got on my phone. Uh, this is from CBS Sacramento. Roseville, which I'm assuming is near Sacramento, never heard of it, never been there, uh, in California. Verizon employees called police about three customers. This article from Complex summarizing the incident has the typo, uh, three costumers, who were asked to leave the store for not wearing masks. And uh, the dispatcher contacts the officers with a shocking update saying that the Verizon store has called back. They are advising that the female is pulling down her pants and is now urinating inside the business. <laughs> so she was so mad that uh, she was asked to wear a mask that she just popped squat in the middle of the cell phone store and let nature take its course. And uh, police confirmed to CBS Sacramento that they arrested her after discovering her vehicle contained stolen merchandise from a nearby Dick's Sporting Goods. It's called direct action, actually. People are so crazy. It's a mask. Just wear it. Just wear it. The sooner you wear it, the sooner all of this will be over. No, because it's infringing upon my rights and my freedoms. Well, we just got the, what is it? I guess the order to start wearing them from Wednesday. Um, We got that today because of our second wave. Woo! Um, and yesterday there was this woman on the the news who was in the city here. We have a river, famously very ugly, smelly river, and there's a track that goes along it that lots of people go to walk on. And they were saying, you know, you're not allowed to leave your suburb to go exercise. This woman's on the television saying, "Oh well, I can't leave my what? What do you mean I can't leave my suburb? I've done all of Brighton, which is an extremely rich suburb." And she's like. I have to come, have to come to the city. Walk around your giant fucking house, lady. Like, (laughs) stay at home. How hard is it? Stay at home. When Kim Kardashian tweeted asking if anyone had any advice for keeping her kids busy, and it's like, you've got two pools. I guess my question is, do we know if the rubber president masks from Point Break count? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think if you sprayed them with like Lysol and had like a faint, sheen on it as you went around your daily business that would definitely repel anything i think i think though that um that might be carcinogenic so i think if you just get one of those like little filters and have it just kind of like on the inside it should be fine there was that facebook thread where women were talking about wearing bridal veils instead of masks because they were technically a face covering People are like, can you imagine being in a Walmart and that woman just rolls in wearing a bridal veil? I don't know about you guys, but personally, the fact that I can be in public and someone can only see like a third of my face, very (laughs) appealing to me. I know, I know, I'm into it. I don't like being perceived, you know, like... This is just playing right into that for me. I'll go full fucking goth veils, everything. I don't like 
I don't need to be perceived. I'm starting to get where Michael Jackson was coming from with the whole thing <laughs> because it is very soothing. My my arch nemesis Chuck Woolery, who I don't know, hosted game shows when I was a kid. I don't know if he ever did anything else that was notable, but whatever. Uh, he's a, a bastard. And so he's been tweeting this whole time about, like, how COVID isn't real, like, the doctors are lying to you, the government's lying to you, you know, trust in Trump, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, last week he was like, my son is very sick, he has COVID-19, and then he deleted his Twitter account. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Like, that one guy who went viral, that guy from, like, Ohio or whatever, who went viral for refusing to wear a mask, and, like, this, like, Facebook rant talking about it, and people were like, so true, support our individual, this is a constitutional, anyway, the guy's fucking dead now. Well, like, the thing is, here, it's like, what happened was we got the numbers down, and then there have been, like, a spate of outbreaks throughout the, the city, and in the weeks preceding this, the media, and particularly our federal government, was working really hard pressuring our state to open back up and they're like you know why why can't you open it up like up like hurry up every all the other states they're opening up why not us anyway so all of this happened and um it turns out that one of the security guards who was watching over the return travelers um who were in hotel quarantine fucked one of these quarantine travelers who was riddled with COVID-19 and then spread that throughout the community and now the media is like, well, it's all the premier's fault. Why did he open us back up? And it's like, what do you want him to do? I'm, I'm sure he didn't hire this contractor with the knowledge that he would then fuck a sick person. It's just extremely frustrating <laughs> that we're in this situation because pawnies couldn't keep it in their fucking pants. Once again. Once again. Did you guys see any of the social media posts of like what the quarantine like hotel food looked like for the NBA? Because it looked like shit. It looked like something, honestly, that we're going to get at Denny's, you know, after we steal Mickey Rooney's bone. That's what it looked like. And I can only imagine, like, I don't know, you make like $14 million a season or whatever the hell people make in the NBA. And you just like get something that looks like a fucking dehydrated survival Jim Baker ration. Firefest sandwich. Speaking of Firefest, Andy found love in a hopeless place. It only took 58 years. It only took 58 years and he didn't even, he didn't even have to... <sighs> Say it. Uh, Say it. <laughs> he, he didn't... <laughs> I'm not going to say it. This is a family-friendly podcast. As if. I've said fuck like three times. Well, Tiffany can just bleep it. She can uh, put in a little Timothy Bottoms voice over it. What if it's just like Timothy Bottoms saying like, I think this will be a very memorable ride experience or whatever when he's talking to the reporter. Or I think this will be a very famous ride opening. Very memorable. Whatever the fuck Timothy Bottoms says. (laughs) Tiffany just put that over every single time you play. You say fuck. Sir, I'm a reporter. How'd you like the ride? Sir? It was fine. Just fine. You can tell your grandchildren you were the first to ride on the Great American Revolution and live to tell about it. How would you compare it to other rides? I think it will get a lot of attention. Or, 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 or it could be Siegel saying, screw you. Well, what a segue, huh? Uh, I <laughs> guess you. that's as good a point as any to introduce the show. First, Harriet, I think I should tell you about the bomb. Would you like to know where it is? Sure. You're holding it. <laughs> Now, Harry, it was activated when you turned it on, so be very careful. I wouldn't want to lose you. And don't throw it, Harry. It will explode on impact. Sorry. 
Welcome to What's in the Basket podcast. I am Amelia, back at it again with Candice. Hello. And Tiff. Hi. And today uh, we're breaking our hiatus uh, with uh, a film that's very near and dear to our hearts. It's the, would you say it's a disaster film? Sort of action, disaster suspense film, uh, Roller Coaster from 1977. I think... This film was particularly formative for us as people uh, and definitely us as a group. I, I remember when I, I told my mother what we were recording and she was like, oh, I can't wait to hear you talk about it because you talk about it all the time but never actually talk about it. So here we are, finally covering Roller Coaster, which I'm sure is very much anticipated by our entire audience. Well, let's reveal a little secret. We've never uh, acknowledged where the clips in our theme song come from, and we're not going to change that today for the most part because it's a mystery, and one day when we actually have enough listeners, maybe we'll do a contest or something to figure it out. But um, aside from the basket case clip, we do have a substantial roller coaster clip, which is the dialogue that opens every show. And the delightful song about Yogi Bear. It is, yeah, very central to this podcast is this movie. Not only because there are many classic faces in this, haggard as they are. Some friends. Um, some friends, some enemies. Um, and yeah, just a whole lot of cool roller coasters. What more could you want? Uh, we've also got a bucket hat. <clears throat> An embroidered bucket a mainstay hat. mainstay of the podcast. Look, there's a lot of... Incredible fashions in this movie, which I will get into. But look, it's got it all. It's got action. It's got suspense. It's got Timothy Bottoms. There's like fashion. There's the worst audio mixing I've ever heard in a movie. There, <laughs> <laughs> and incredible band in the film. So I mean, I guess we'll just get into it. Um, who wants to do the plot breakdown? Well, we start with Timothy Bottoms, who plays a young man, which is his credited name. Uh, he, he is never named further than young man. And he is sort of a morose lone wolf terrorist who wants to blow up roller coasters. Yeah, I, his motivation is never really that clear. No, uh, he just... Well, he tells Siegel it's about the money. Yeah, but like, that's gen... I mean, I want money. I'm not going to blow up a <laughs> roller coaster for money. You know, like, he seems to blow up an awful lot of roller coasters before he gets to, like, demanding money, is my thing. I'm saying he's just in it for, like, the kicks. Maybe he his, like, family were killed in the carny factory or something, you know. Who <laughs> <laughs> <You> knows? <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> yeah, Timothy Bottoms is this uh, young man, uh, and it opens with him placing a, a bomb on a wooden roller coaster in the Ocean View Amusement Park. Um, and honestly, this amusement park feels like the spiritual home of this podcast or any kind of theme park that's like that, that's like sad, off-brand kind of theme park. Well, fittingly, two years after this film was made, that theme park 
uh, in Virginia, Ocean View Park, was demolished on screen in a TV movie entitled The Death of Ocean View Park. Which, I mean, that's how we're going to go up. I would say so, yeah. Tonight, a world premiere motion picture. The ABC Friday Night Movie. Something's wrong at Ocean View Park. I've been all over the park, and it's perfect, Sam. A powerful and mysterious force is at work. We're beginning to think we're in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. And a holiday weekend is about to become a nightmare of devastation. In a few hours, the gates are going to be open, and thousands of people are going to come to the biggest party in the world, Sam, and nothing's going to stop it. Get out of that car! Can anyone stop the death of Ocean View Park? And yeah, there's like, it's a pretty intense scene when the wooden roller coaster actually explodes because one, a wooden roller coaster in itself, terrifying. Um, I don't know if you've ever been on one. We have one in the city. I think it's one of the oldest in the world that's still operating and it is terrifying. So loud, makes so much noise. It feels like you're going to be thrown off the track onto St. Kilda Road and die. And it doesn't even last that long, so it's not very good. Um, <laughs> this one ends much more dramatically with all of the carts being exploded off the end, like through other rides, on top of carnies, just like full carnage. And it's like here that we like meet Candace's favourite, Inspector Harry Calder, who is played by Candace, if you will. It's 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 George Siegel. It's George Siegel. Can you tell them what you told us about George Siegel the other day? <laughs> yeah. Why do you sound like I'm a child who's just ended up in the counselor's office? Because it's shameful. I don't want to tell you what I said about George Siegel the other day because I never should have said it. I never should have admitted this. <laughs> yeah, but you did. You did say you. it. And now you have to tell our listeners. You should know. Nothing's sacred. I I don't even want I I I, I I'm too embarrassed. <laughs> I am too embarrassed to say this because it's an embarrassing thing. And I thought I, I was with my friends. I didn't know I was being exploited for likes. Well, maybe you should think about Facebook. that next time you call Tiff short. I mean, <laughs> swings and roundabouts, baby. Well, yes, we'll just leave it as Candace has a particular interest in George Siegel. There, I have te- I, oh. I have theories as to why. I think that George Siegel has a tiny touch of, like, Dana about him and the way that he acts and his mannerisms. There's just, like, a touch of Dana in there. Um, I see I see what you're saying there, but I think the difference is that I have never in my entire life been attracted to Dana Andrews. But for some reason, that the animal magnetism lie. of George Siegel... No, I find Dana beautiful the same way I find McRae beautiful. They're, like, they're, like statues or something or like a really beautiful bunch of gladiolas see um, you say that but then you say shit like look at his feet because you don't say that about about someone you know i'm not <laughs> this is character assassin okay all i was saying was i was i had been watching the saint valentine's day massacre and i i find george siegel very attractive and I have been shamed. I've been invalidated. I think there might even be a touch of homophobia in this, to be quite frank with you. Um, I, I'm sorry. I have terrible taste. There are like three men I've ever been attracted to in my entire life, and George Siegel is one of them. And I, I don't know what to say. What can you say beyond that? It's a lot to reckon with. I think Timothy Bottoms and I might have that in common in this movie. I don't know about Timothy Bottoms in real life. Maybe Timothy Bottoms had a crush on George Siegel. Maybe he didn't. I wasn't there. <laughs> well, anyway... So George Siegel is the 
safety inspector. It just and it doesn't say for like for who? For Fonda. For Fonda. Fonda personally. He seems to like kind of globe trot like Carmen San Diego, just like <laughs> inspecting roller coasters all over the country. It's like it's Henry Fonda, because Henry Fonda is George Siegel's boss in this. Is he just, like, the boss of all theme parks? Or, like, is there a government agency that inspects theme parks? What's the go here? It's never fully explained. Doesn't really need to be. Because George Siegel, he just seems to go from park to park, interviewing people, working out who on earth could have been doing the wrong thing. And it's at this point, like, he's at the first park where he describes... Well, he's also he's also trying to quit smoking which is a subplot to this whole movie. And is he trying to do it through, like, shock therapy to, like... Yeah, it's some kind of aversion therapy. Too much juice? No. Listen, don't be a martyr. If it's getting painful... That's what I'm paying for. Ow. So he's doing that when he's called up by Henry Fonda, who's having an anniversary dinner with his wife, telling him to go down and investigate what happened on this roller coaster. And a very, a very nice thing that I appreciate is that Henry Fonda is like third build in this movie, and he's got like two scenes, and then we <laughs> never see it. him again. <laughs> Harry, I'm sorry to bother you. Then don't. Why do you talk to me like that? Because I don't like you, sorry. After tonight, I may return the favor. Is Ocean View Park in your jurisdiction? You know it is. Why? When was the last time a field inspector from the Southridge office checked out the rides? Two months ago. Are you sure? I did it myself. That's unfortunate. Did you inspect the roller coaster? Of course I inspected the roller coaster. What happened? It just collapsed. Jesus. But yeah, he goes down, does some investigating, sees a whole big jar of candy corn talks to a haunted carny, um, who he then later describes as an old geezer with a broom instead of just calling him a janitor. Yeah, he's like the shell-shocked janitor who just witnessed this uh, derailment of the roller coaster, and Siegel describes him as, quote, an old-timer carries a broom. <laughs> I met a guy, uh, old-timer out there, carries a broom. Yeah, that's Benny, Benny Nielsen. And, yeah, I guess the, the film just sort of amps up from there. With the bomber continuing to target roller coasters in Pittsburgh and in Chicago. And it's kind of like here where Timothy Bottoms sends them a tape where he's demanding $1 million um, to stop his activities. Hey, uh, speaking of Timothy Bottoms and terrorism, uh, do you know in the TV film DC 9-11 Time of Crisis, he played President George W. Bush. Did he really? And <laughs> Yes. Yes. It aired on Showtime. In 2003. How do you grieve when the weight of a nation is on your shoulders? You wanted the job. Maybe this is why. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. Timothy Bottom stars. The entire world has seen for itself the state of our union, and it is strong. In DC 9-11, time of crisis. Coming to video and DVD this September. Well, it turns out $1 million in 1977 is $4.2 million now. I'd that's go a little higher if I was blown yeah. up. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of people to kill 
before you ask for $4 million. I'd be asking for a bit more than that. But I guess life was cheap in the 70s, huh? So once he asks for the $1 million, this is when our good friend Richard Widmark gets involved, who's an FBI agent who is obviously overseeing the whole operation to try and catch Timothy Bottoms' young man bomber. And I don't know why they seem to, like, just enlist George Siegel's help. This entire time, George Siegel hasn't displayed any, like, he doesn't know how rides operate. He's not, like, an engineer. He's not au fait with every single theme park. I don't know what expertise he brings to this operation, but he's in it. Well, I think they really have to just bring him in because he's the only one that Bottoms is willing to talk to. And... He dresses the best. Um, and he dresses cool. He wears one of my favorite looks, which we'll get into. Well, we'll get into it now, I guess, is when Widmark and co. show up at his, his apartment and he's got on, he's washing his car. And so he's got a, a very cool pair of flare jeans and what appeared to be a pair of Keds, white Keds. And he's also got kind of like a bracelet sleeve gray sweatshirt look <laughs> going on. And then some local children are menacing him as he's attempting to wash the car and he tells them to go watch Sesame Street. Go home and watch Sesame Street. So he gets no respect from anyone, really, except for Timothy Bottoms. And that's why I think the dynamic works between the two of them. <laughs> um, we should also mention at this point that George Siegel has a daughter who is played by a very young Helen Hunt. And like... A very strange scene happens when he goes to his ex-wife's house to pick up his daughter and his ex-wife's boyfriend is there in his robe and it's all very strange. Very similar to the um, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Jimmy Stewart wearing the same robe anecdote. Nice meeting you, Dale. How do you like the robe? Just fine, thanks. Yours? Birthday present. The scene is made all the more uncomfortable for me by the fact that it's one of those, like, 70s robes that's, like, it hits, like, mid-thigh at, at most. That's being it's generous. So it's a very short robe. And this man's just sitting there eating his kicks and reading the newspaper. Um, and I hate it. I really hate it. I would also point out that the entire Helen Hunt character is completely pointless. She never really comes into play except for, you know, George Siegel to be like, go home. Uh, don't don't be here. The roller coaster is going to blow up. And my only complaint about this movie is that it's like two hours long. And I think if you were going to get rid of anything, it would be fucking Helen Hunt just like existing. Yeah, I was going to say it's like they wanted to raise the emotional stakes, but like not by putting Helen Hunt like on the roller coaster. Yeah, or something. She's like, just you're in... expecting her to be on the roller coaster. Yeah, she's just in the crowd and then he tells her to go home and she does. It's like in San Andreas, you know, the only thing that could make everything worse for The Rock is the fact that his inexplicably white child is in San Francisco, where she does not live, I don't think, uh, no, at the time of this massive tsunami, earthquake, uh, flooding situation, the whole scenario, you know? That's, that's, that's the glue there. But this would be like if The Rock were trying to stop the earthquake from happening or whatever The Rock does in San Andreas, and then meanwhile he keeps, like, on the phone with her, and then we get, like, long uninterrupted bits of her like in Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa on the phone with him or something. <laughs> it's literally just Helen Hunt just like bobbing around this theme park with Siegel's girlfriend and li watching Sparks, listening to some cool, some cool, getting some cool jams in 
And it, there's absolutely no reason for her to be there. And I really, I don't know why she's not on the roller coaster. Maybe Helen Hunt's afraid of roller coasters. Maybe there's a reason there. But I also feel like in the 1970s, they wouldn't have cared. They would have just drugged you and stuck you on the roller coaster. <laughs> well, like, looking at some of these roller coasters, I don't think they cared, like, for anyone's safety. Some of these, like, when George Siegel is enlisted to help Richard Widmark entrap this bomber, they make him go to a theme park, which is the King's Dominion, which is where the clip is from the opening of our show to orchestrate this whole like oh we're gonna get him it's like sting operation they've got george siegel wired and he's wearing this powder blue suit and then he gets a call from timothy bottoms and timothy bottoms like oh you have to go get a hat and get it embroidered with your name (laughs) and then when he gets it embroidered with his name the woman like says harry don't get many harrys around here like surely you'd get some harrys in 1977 here you are sir that'll be 350 don't get many harrys around here a lot of jasons and scots i think the joke is that when she says we mostly get a lot of scots and jasons i.e this is a hat for children. <laughs> it doesn't fucking well, that's why it doesn't fit, fit on his head. <laughs> it, that's why it doesn't fit on his head. Well, anyway, and then and Timothy, Timothy Bottoms is obviously wise to the whole sting operation because he's got, I don't know, he seems to have every room that George Siegel enters bugged. So, like, he asks him to remove his wire and, like, somehow gets a package delivered to him by a child. Uh, in the middle of the same park. My problem with this, another problem with this, is now <laughs> sometimes I like in movies not having the backstory of the antagonist like i think it works really well in something like black christmas or as um a dear family friend of mine has always called it black santa claus um (laughs) she can't remember the name of the movie uh i like the fact that you don't know anything about the voice you know about the man in the attic i think it works really well i think that makes it creepier but my thing with timothy bottoms is like okay so does he have like a trust fund or Like, did he win big on a game show or something? Like, how does he fund, like, when is he's he got, working like, at, like, fake... Radio Shack? What's his goal? Yeah. Yeah, like, first of all, how does he have all these little radio bits and bobs and, and pieces of equipment? Which, I don't know how much those little, that sh- little, I don't know, consumer electronic shit cost in the 70s, but I'm assuming it wasn't cheap. And, uh, you know, he's constantly t- flying planes and renting cars to go bomb <laughs> theme parks. Yeah. And he goes to the Hyatt Regency in chicago where siegel is meeting with a bunch of the owners of all the big theme parks um to be like hey i this isn't an accident i know what's going on or at least i have suspicion of what's going on and then bottoms comes into the room dressed as a hotel employee and is like room service and then he comes in he fiddles with the lamp and he bugs it and i'm like how does he all the quick change and then it cuts to him he's like across the street in another hotel room like watching them through binoculars and it's like where is he getting the funds for this some people it's like that guy who crashed the oscars he was a taxi driver and yeah we've done 35 dollars a week some people are just really committed he this he this is a hobby he takes very seriously yeah but also since he's going to be doing all this so he can hold like the park ransom technically these would be business expenses yeah true <laughs> put some down <laughs> so as, he's um, planning on a write-off expenses at the end of the year. yeah this is a big tax write-off for him even the hat also 350 for that fucking hat <laughs> that's a lot of money concert tickets used it? to be like two bucks in the 70s let's see what it was Well, 350 would be like what like 13 dollars ish maybe 12.76 oh i'm so good <laughs> i am good i'm great at this i'm great at everything uh unlike george siegel in this movie 
Back then, concert tickets were like two bucks. Yeah, so, but then you could get like crushed to death waiting to go see the. Who. He could have gotten crushed to death at that theme park. There were a lot of crowds. The crowds there were making me very queasy. Well, yeah. So this whole thing like happens. Um, riding the he rides this kind of like I I don't know King's Dominion seems to be like Hanna Barbera themed. I looked this up, and uh, at the time it did have something called the Happy Land of Hanna Barbera. So I guess that's why there's the like those animatronics are not Hanna Barbera themed, but they're singing. No, they aren't. They're just mushrooms. <laughs> so I think that was like a temporary this... licensing thing for a while there that they had. Yeah, because they had like the singing mushrooms singing about Yogi yeah. Bear. And then there's also like people dressed as the banana splits as waiters <laughs> in the background of a few scenes. Um, well, I, I learned from Defunct Land that Hanna-Barbera is a very cheap property to lease for theme parks. That does not shock. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so a lot of regional theme parks have been... I think even Magic Mountain, I think, had Hanna-Barbera branding at one point. But Wasn't I may there be like a Flintstones that. ones near you? Yeah, the, uh, the, my local theme park yeah. was Flintstones themed before, like before I was born, I believe, like in the 70s or 80s. And then the, the uh, license lapsed. And so now they just have all these like fiberglass kind of Flintstones rock buildings that are complete like non sequiturs because it's not Flintstones themed anymore. <laughs> it kicks ass. <laughs> Honestly, the ultimate goal of this podcast is to open a theme park. With Flintstones theming, specifically. That's, that's the goal. Stony Curtis. The cheesiest stuff you could imagine in the theme park. That would be our theme park. But the great thing about this particular theme park is that it's sort of a combination of the Hanna-Barbera theme that they're licensing and then the Civil War. So the, uh, the yeah, uh, it's got the whole like Dollywood Mason Dixon line yeah. restaurant or something that he's standing next to, and then he rides. He gets on a roller coaster that's called the Rebel Yell, where it's like one of the racing coasters, you know, and one is red and one's blue. So that roller coaster, it, it really was called the Rebel Yell. It was renamed Racer Seventy Five. Do you want to guess what year that happened? Three years ago, twenty eighteen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Candace. Fucking hell. Well, this is what I was getting to earlier, is that George Siegel's on this roller coaster, completely disinterested, but also standing up in the fucking, like, looking over, what is anything amiss? Just no safety, no, like, proper bar holding him down. Horrific. Horrific. Also, strangers riding next to strangers. That's possibly more scary than the lack of safety equipment. Um, I'm really sorry it's raining really loudly, but we're just going to have to deal with that. Oh, and just in case we forget, like, that uh, children go to this theme park, at one point when the police dispatch uh, some guys in a cool van to come help out, one of the guys goes, King's Dominion? Hell, I was there last week with my kid. (laughs) Go to the service gate and park that bomb van out of sight. King's Dominion? Hell, I was there last week with my kid. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's a theme park. There's kids. They're singing a song about Boo Boo and Yogi Bear. I, I assume there were children there. But, However, that doesn't prevent Siegel from winning a carton of cigarettes at a carnival game. <laughs> Congratulations, sir. You just won a carton of cigarettes. I don't smoke. <laughs> Different Man, time, It's the 70s, huh? and it's also Virginia. It's Virginia in the 1970s, so. I mean, the best part of the King's Dominion is obviously the poster, which 
if we ever get enough listeners who want merch, will be our first piece of merch. <laughs> our faces on that poster uh, for the yeah, King's it's Dominion like King Park. the owner of King's Dominion in this scene where I don't know if it's the real owner doing a, a, a cameo or if it's just an actor, but um, they're in the office over at King's Dominion setting up this whole you know surveillance, and he's kind of like a pudgy lad with a little bit of a comb over and some weird bangs. And he's sitting there at his desk and then he's got a poster behind him of his own face, his own sweet little cherubic face. I think it's really cool. It's like surrounded by like theme park elements, like characters. and It's good marketing. Who doesn't want to know what the owner of your local theme park looks like? Exactly. After after this whole like situation of the the, the um, King's Dominion theme park, I think the sting goes wrong because Timothy Bottoms knows all about what's going on, um, and Richard Widmark's like, "Well, you suck. I hate you. Fuck off back to your house." And he admits that he gave the bomber marked money. George Siegel's like, "But he specifically asked for unmarked bills," which is like. As every terrorist would demand, <laughs> who's asking for marked bills? Yeah, they get into a big argument and George Siegel leaves and he goes home and he's just hanging out in his crazy apartment. The 70s were a lot in terms of design, specifically interior design. Um, but, like, just all the interiors in this movie, absolutely insane. I don't know if it was just, like the 70s concentrated or what it was just a lot going on it's at this point where george seagull deduces that the next target is going to be magic mountain um because they're having this huge ride opening for this new roller coaster which is i've never really heard of before like a big event for a ride opening but i mean i'm not big on the theme park scene like candace is so i think when it opened revolution had some sort of superlative it was like the tallest roller coaster in the world or something like that some of the fastest or whatever so it was like a it was an, an event i'm gonna look that up oh I, I can tell you right now um i've got it oh. open the new revolution is the world's first modern roller coaster to feature a vertical loop and has been recognized for that accomplishment by the American coaster enthusiasts who awarded the roller coaster its coaster landmark status. Um, and it was named after uh, the American Revolution <laughs> in celebration yes. of the country's bicentennial. You can see because the kids who are working the ride have like are dressed like little little colonists, little <laughs> yeah. colonizers. Little Dutch babies. Also, um, now, you know, they call it the New Revolution now. They changed the name because now uh, it was just called Revolution. Yeah. But New Revolution has a VR component, from what, what? I understand. What? Uh, yeah, like you wear a headset or some shit and there's like aliens attacking the ride or whatever. But I guess you can opt out. I think you can ride it just as regular. Like, I as feel Revolution. like I would get I have sick. never been on Revolution, so... I feel like I'd get sick if I was on a roller coaster and then had to watch something. I think you'd get sick no matter what ride you were on at Magic Mountain. Because <laughs> Magic Mountain... When I think of Magic Mountain, I think about sunburns, food poisoning. Uh, my mom's friend one time came out to the parking lot and her all of her tires were gone. <laughs> uh, in the 70s, my uncle had a bumper sticker that said, I got stabbed at Magic Mountain. Um, Magic Mountain is not... I've only been once. I've only been once, and I have no desire to go back. Um, because when I got off the ride, uh, I was like, did anyone else's legs fly up? And everyone <laughs> looked at me, and they went, no. And I was like, okay. And a friend of mine did pass out on Batman. So I don't, I don't fuck with Magic Mountain. 
I don't fuck. It's the only theme park I've ever been to where a ride had a height limit. I had never seen that before in my life. That was a bad sign. <laughs> so you're saying that Timothy Bottoms targeting revolution was probably not the most dangerous thing that has happened at Magic Mountain. Absolutely not. I think Magic Mountain has had like multiple fatalities. Um, guy got stabbed in line for Batman. In 2006, 109 complaints by Magic Mountain guests were made. Uh, ranging from nosebleeds and heat exhaustion to neck and back injuries. Of course, brush fires. 1978, a 20-year-old died after falling out of Colossus. Uh, the lap bar was locked in place, but it proved to be ineffective due to the woman's weight. Fire broke out on Colossus Lift Hill in 2014. Eagle's Flight, a gondola. 1978, a gondola car on Eagle's Flight traveling the galaxy course fell 50 feet to the ground. A newlywed was killed. His wife lost her legs. Jesus. 2001, uh, another woman died on Goliath, brain aneurysm. Hurricane Harbor, a man fell from the Venom Drop water slide. According to a spokesperson for the park, uh, the man cut in line at the slide, fought through the lifeguards, and jumped onto the slide head first, which is the kind of thing that would happen at Magic Mountain. Um, so two people have died on Revolution. One in 1996, a park attendant was killed while crossing the tracks. And in 2015, a 10-year-old was found unconscious but breathing after returning to the roller coaster station and died in the hospital the following day. Oh, and, uh, and on Scream in 2004, uh, a 21-year-old died after being struck by the roller coaster while underneath the track during a test run prior to the park's opening that day. The roller coaster was allowed to be reopened the next week after an OSHA inspection found no mechanical issues. Oh, great. That OSHA inspector was George Siegel. <laughs> Yeah, George Siegel, he's convinced that Timothy Bottoms is going to target revolution. And eventually he convinces the FBI that this is going to happen, even though they're like, ah, nah, he's not going to target this big ride opening. Why would he do that? But Widmark, who I, Tiff and I disagree about how Widmark looks in this. I think we fundamentally agree, but we're approaching it from two different places. Because I commented that Widmark has always looked exactly the same, but at like varying degrees of baldness. And then you commented that he looked haggard. And I, I said think... he looked haggard and like his, the line, he looks like he picked the wrong grail. <laughs> Like in Indiana Jones. Yeah, I I think what I meant by that is that his entire life he looked geriatric. <laughs> but I mean, it's the kind of thing that Candace's grandma is into. So, <sighs> oh my god! Well, this is where I got my bad taste from. So that's surprising. <laughs> but yeah, he's looking stressed, and he has these big glasses on. Those that... glasses are so cool, <laughs> and this enormous tie, big tie. It's... It's like a fucking picnic blanket that he's fashioned Just fucking into Fucking Sophia Petrello glasses. Oh. <laughs> they they finally admit that, oh yeah, it's probably going to be the revolution that he's targeting. Uh, and they fill the park with agents and they, they find the bomb and they start to disarm it. So it's at this point, like, Timothy Bottoms, he's been cruising the park and he's like, ah, oh, well, job done. And then this couple ask him to take a photo of them. And it's like through this tiny 70s, like, flat camera that he sees the FBI agents, like, disarming the bomb. And he, like, takes a picture and he, like, gives it to them and he pulls out his little thing and he's like, he wants to blow up the bomb because he's like, oh, my God. And he pulls it out of his bomber jacket that he's been wearing the entire movie. It's an appropriate choice of clothing. It's seasonally the incorrect choice to be wearing. Yeah, but, but, but you know, nominatively, 
It is. It is the. Is the correct. And like he goes to press the because it's because the bomb it's a bomber jacket. He he bombs. He bombs. Stuff. He, yeah. Uh, he goes to blow it up, <laughs> and the FBI agent just snips the wire just in time. So it's at this point that Timothy Bottoms rushes back to his car to get a new bomb, and he, like, pulls out his tools. Whoa! Oh. Dude, what's all that stuff you're grabbing? Tools! Tools! Duct tape, zip ties, and gloves! I have to have my tools! Why do you have a bunch of, like, weird tools in a hidden compartment in your car? Fetish, fetish shit! I, 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 I like to bind, I like to be bound! I got this, like, little bomb kit that he just has in his car. I have a sweet-ass little fastback, that little yellow, banana yellow little fastback out there in the parking lot. That's why you drive a distinctive vehicle. Because <laughs> do we he think that time. he's living in the car? Yes. <laughs> That's a really small car. And the black leather seats with, like, the black, like, carpet interior. He's sitting in that car sweating while he's trying to put his new bomb together. <laughs> hot in there <laughs> that's how he affords all this shit he's living in the car that's it all of this all of these scenes look like they were in extremely hot places like the room where widmark and seagull are in looks extremely hot and there's a very big glass of milk on it's like the a table. gallon of milk it's like a jug of milk just there it's like someone was told to bring snacks and they brought a <laughs> gallon of milk nice refreshing milk that's how zachary taylor died u.s president zachary taylor from drinking some hot milk on a hot day <laughs> He had some milk and he had a bowl of cherries. And I guess cherries and milk are a terrible combination. You're not supposed to do it. So that like, <laughs> like what? Mentos like, and Coke? What? Yeah, basically. And combined with the July 4th weather in, you know, along the Potomac, which is basically like a large sewer, uh, he just, he had the vipers and he kind of just, he just dropped dead, I guess. And, uh, at the time, it was diagnosed as being, like, a variant of cholera, but they don't think it was, like, real cholera because other people, like, would have dropped it. Basically, at the time, there was this, this I don't know, it's called, like, cholerica, whatever, whatever, was just used as kind of like a catch-all for any disease that made you aggressively shit yourself before dying. So Zachary Taylor spent the last days of his life just that hot milk just pouring through him. <laughs> And nothing but respect for my president. <laughs> my instinct as a non-American when you said Zachary Taylor was Zachary Taylor Thomas, which is not a person. I was thinking of Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Zachary <laughs> Ty Bryan, Taylor both from Home Improvement. <laughs> <laughs> Your shoes come from Ross. Uh, that is so. That is so fucking JTT. Wow, I haven't thought about JTT in a long time. You know who also didn't shit himself to death? Timothy Bottoms as George W. Bush in DC 9-11, the television movie. Thank you. But wouldn't that have been a twist? <laughs> wouldn't that have been a twist? Yeah, well, it, Timothy Bottoms is very busy in this movie too, as he's trying to put together a second bomb in his extremely hot car. And it's at this point where they open the ride and they're like, only golden ticket holders can go on this ride. And Timothy Bottoms... Desperate to get on the ride, pays a hundred bucks to a couple to have one of their tickets. And the guy's like, a hundred bucks? Yeah. And like takes it and just lets his girlfriend go on the roller coaster with Timothy Bottoms, which Candace said she would do. I would do that. I'm sorry, but I, I would do that. I would do that to any of you. I would I would do that to my own girlfriend. I would do it to George Siegel. I would do it to Rock Bones. I'd do it to anybody. Because that's like 
500 bucks. Uh, I mean, yeah. Who's going to... I mean, in this climate, I think we'd all take the 100 bucks. But um, we wouldn't be in this position in the first place because no one can go on a ride. So he's on the ride. He He's planting... He plants the bomb on the, like, roller coaster cart that he's on. And he gets off and he's, like, really smug about it. And when he gets off the, the media... Um, is interviewing people as they get off. I just realized that we haven't addressed the Sparks situation. Oh, and it's so omnipresent too. It's it's like the entire last 30 minutes of the movie is Sparks. And it's... Okay, so the band Sparks are playing like a concert at the opening of this roller coaster. And somehow they managed to make the three and a half minute song Big Boy last for, I would say, about... 45 minutes of this movie. And it's only like the same 10 seconds of the song. And over again for like eight hours. Eight hours, I would say. It's it's so much. And it's like every single scene it cuts through, doesn't matter where they are in the park, it's the same part of the song. Or it's like big boy or like whatever. <laughs> like and it's like Timothy Bottoms getting in his car and it's big boy and then it's them just sounding the bomb as big boy and it's like George Siegel and Richard Woodmark in the room and they can just hear <laughs> drinking their milk. Like the slight like big boy. It's everywhere. There it is. found the bomb. It's on the bridge after the tunnel. What are you going to do? Bring it down? No. Don't want to jar it. We're going to take it apart here. Oh, for God's sake, be careful. If we're not, you'll be the first to know. He's not at Coney Island. Absolutely everywhere. Maybe the producers only paid, like, enough for them to do, like, two songs. And so they'd rather pick one of those Spark songs that lasts for, like, seven minutes. They were like, fuck you, we're just gonna do Big Boy and pat it out. I guess, I, I mean, maybe they picked Big Boy for a reason. They were probably like, well, Timothy Bottoms, Bottoms that's a big boy. Um, and then... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, okay, so part of the thing that's so funny about this, watching Timothy Bottoms, is that, like, now as someone I'm almost the same age that Timothy Bottoms is in this movie watching Sparks, like, the generational divide between... between Timothy Bottoms and like the screaming teeny boppers next to him is like it chills me to the to, to my core you know <laughs> Timothy Bottoms looks way too old to be hanging out with these kids watching Sparks and I'm like oh fuck that's me <laughs> that's me now that's embarrassing it's a bit like you know hello fellow kids he's there Timothy Bottoms is where he's his khakis his and big his, bomber know, jacket. his white button down his big bomber jacket and his like Marcel wave hair looking like fucking Timothy Bottoms Big hair and small eyes. Very waspy. Big hair, small eyes. That's, <laughs> that's a good descriptor of most wasps, I would say. Um, but yeah, so Sparks is there. I believe that Sparks said that this was their biggest regret appearing in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. They said in an interview <laughs> that uh, appearing in Roller Coaster was the biggest regret of their career. Which is a bit mean. I think it would be the highlight of our career. I know this. This would be the high point. Yeah, now. I'd love to have been in Roller Coaster. I always hate that when like people like disparage like shitty movies they've made, but like the movies are very enjoyable in their own right. Like, is it Jamie Lee Curtis in Virus? She says she hates that. Oh yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I fucking like Virus. Frances D said that about I Walk with a Zombie. She hated. It. She she thought that movie was pointless and you know didn't have any anything remarkable about it. And now it's like regarded as being one of the great horror movies 
of the studio era and she only did it for the money because she wanted to buy her mom a car which they absolutely had enough money for her to just bought her mom a car she didn't have to do the movie <laughs> well i mean would joel have done that though joel would not have done that that's how you stay rich baby you don't buy things for the ones you love but yeah no i love it when when actors are like oh I, that was so that it, beneath me like beneath you what yeah like Fuck who off. do you think you are who do you think you are i wonder i mean how did richard widmark feel about being in roller coaster he probably thought of it as a low point of his life too but you know Compared to Fonda, who made a whole, who had a whole cottage industry in the 1970s of just popping up in movies for about 15 seconds and then leaving. It's like the octopus movie. There's that, there's this Italian movie, a whole monster movie about an octopus or whatever, and it's full of old stars. Shelley Winters is in it. She's got the biggest hat I've ever seen on a human being. You know what I mean? Like full on, like massive, ma- I can't even, massive hat. Only she's standing there with her two grandchildren and it like shields all three of them from the sun. That's how big this hat is. <laughs> and Hank is in it for like 15 minutes, maybe. And he was um, making bank. He was just doing he was what making he needed bank to do. So he could keep huffing glue from the model airplane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart not returning his calls. Timothy Bottoms, he's, he's off and he's being interviewed by the media about what he thought about it. And it's like George Segal has supersonic hearing because he hears Timothy Bottoms' voice and he's just like immediately his head turns to him in the crowd and he's like, I know that boy. <laughs> and runs through the crowd and he's like, Timothy Bottoms has walked off, but like he's like to the reporter, play that back. And it's like, just catch up with the guy and make him talk. Like, what are you? What are you doing? He had to confirm his... And the reporter's like, who the hell are you? And then the kids behind them are making fun of George Siegel. They're like, oh, you play it back. Oh, oh. <laughs> the entire time, George Siegel is being, like, ribbed by kids. <laughs> it's a sad life. It's a holy life for him. But, like, eventually he he catches up to him. And the bomber has planted something else on the on the ride. And... They're like, oh, but it's too late. We can't possibly stop the ride, which it seems like, I mean, you should be able to stop the ride at any point. But like Timothy Bottoms is like, I'm going to blow up the ride. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But they jam the signal, which I don't know why they couldn't have done in the first place. Um, The guy in in the room with Richard Whitmark is like, hey, you know, maybe I could jam the signal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back at HQ, it's like, (laughs) thanks, man. Yeah, couldn't have told us that earlier. Couldn't told us that, like, three bombings ago. Um, and then he, like, runs off. He gets shot, and then he runs off, and he's just, like, blindly running. Oh, wait, before this, though, they have this little, like, detente. The cops and the FBI and, and George Siegel, and they're forming, like, a little, like, circle around, you know, Timothy Bottoms, and, and Timothy Bottoms has got the little transistor, and he's about to, like, detonate the second bomb. And then he's, like... Have them clear a path for me. Give me a gun, you know, and and Siegel's yelling at the guys to put their guns down. But he says something that I think either I don't understand what's going on, which is entirely possible, or there was like another scene or something that got cut because Siegel's like, it says something like, how do you plan to get away? Whatever. Anyway. And uh, Timothy Bottoms is like, oh, you don't understand, Harry. You're my leverage. I'll just kill you. And it's like, how are you going to kill him? (laughs) How? Like, how is he his leverage? It's Widmark makes it. Are you going back out to the parking lot like, and get another bomb? Like Widmark makes it painfully obvious that he does not care for George Siegel. Like he doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care at all. Um, so like I don't know what kind of leverage he thinks he is. Well, yeah, and it's just like again, it's like with what? Like, is there again? Are there bombs in George Siegel's shoes or something? Like, do we miss something? He's gonna force feed him some cherries. Mix with that hot milk. <laughs> <in the gut. laughs> 
I mean, like, there's also this weird undertone the whole time where it's like Timothy Bottom is, insists on only talking to George Siegel and it's like, what's the go here? Why is this so weird? So it could have been George entirely... can recognize his voice. Yeah. Because he's, he loves him. That's how you love someone. <laughs> you can hear them from across a crowd, did room park <laughs> across a crowd at theme park yeah so timothy bottoms he gets shot and he runs away and like he's just running 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 and eventually he like runs back into george siegel and then he's like oh shit so he jumps onto the track of the roller coaster and then immediately is hit <laughs> by the roller coaster cart and, and then it just ends the film just ends George Siegel just like watches it happen and then he's like turns away and just starts walking away and then demands a cigarette from a man in the crowd doesn't even bother trying to find his daughter or his girlfriend who were at the park he just gets a cigarette gets a, a match Start smoking because apparently the moral of this movie is that you can't really achieve anything even if you try. No, 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 no. He he demands the cigarette and the smoke or the uh the cigarette and the match from the guy, puts it in his mouth, and then like reconsiders and drops them and continues to stagger through the crowd. Oh. So like he overcame it's a metaphor. This one thing. <laughs> it's a metaphor, yes, he overcame one thing. It's a metaphor for how all of the fire has gone out of his life now that his love Timothy Bottoms has gotten <laughs> eviscerated. <laughs> By the front car of revolution. I mean, what a way to what a way to go. Life lesson, isn't it? That was actually a subplot that was cut from "What a Way to Go" with Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> there was going to be a one about uh, one of her husbands getting disemboweled <laughs> by a theme park ride. Well, yeah, and that's it. And it just sort of ends. It's what a way to end a movie, honestly. One thing we didn't talk about was the fact that the audio mixing in this movie was horrendous. Like, there are some scenes where the background noise is, like, way too loud. You can, like, hear extras talking. Daddy, Confucius say with faith, man can move mountains. I thought Jesus said that. Well, maybe he did, but according to that fortune cookie... Which is yours, by the way. Confucius said it, too. Don't believe everything you read. Uh, and I did find out a fact that might explain why it's a bit weird, but I don't think it really explains why it is so horrible. But apparently this film was meant to be presented in Sense Around, which is like something that was developed in the the 70s for like really big blockbuster films, which like increased, I guess, the bass sound. So it was originally developed for um, the universal film Earthquake, Charlton Heston, Ava Gardner, Earthquake from 1974 and was then used in the 1976 uh, Midway film and this was like the third film it was used in and very shortly after this it fell out of favour because the biggest problem that theatre owners had with it is it was really expensive to rent but also like while Earthquake it was a really popular event and like the sound of the earthquake in Sense Surround was, like, really cool. What happened was that if people watching a film in the next theatre... Um, the low frequency vibration would like rattle the entire theater. <laughs> <laughs> and that apparently in lots of theaters, the low frequency vibrations would rattle tiles and plaster off the walls, leading to the damage of like venues. Um, so much so that a safety net had to be installed in man's Chinese theater in Hollywood to catch errant pieces of plaster falling from the ceiling um, when Earthquake was screened. And lots of different theatres eventually decided that if a film was going to be screened in Sense Around, it had to be a single screen theatre. 
Like, it just wouldn't be possible to have it playing next to anything else. And it was after the success of Star Wars over Roller Coaster in the middle of 1977 that really killed Sense Around because of people were like, oh, people aren't coming for sound. It's not a draw card. Turns out you can just have a normal sounding movie and people will flock to it. That might be why the sound is a bit strange. Obviously, that if it was going to be played in a different kind of surround sound scenario, there would have been a greater depth to the sound, but now it's been compressed. But I don't know. It's really janky now. It also sounds like a deeply unprofitable venture because if it gets to the point where it can only be a single screen theater, a single screen theater is usually going to be independently run in a small town or a small neighborhood. You know, it's not going to be a chain. So if you're a, a, a theater owner, you're like, no, I'm not going to pay extra for that shit. It's like way beyond your budget. Yeah. I also like the idea of you're, you're going to go see like some small instrument drama, like, you know, <laughs> you're going to go see Hester Street or something, a little black and white, you know, turn of the century New Year. And then meanwhile, the whole fucking... <laughs> you hear fucking Charlton Heston's voice and then it's like big explosion in the next theater. It would put you off going to the movies for a while. I can see why. It would be a problem. Also, like, if you're just sitting in there, like, with your popcorn and then a bit of plaster from the ceiling falls into it, I mean, it's not, like, the best look. That's not the worst thing that could be in the popcorn. Uh, (laughs) Because uh, my mom worked at the neighborhood movie theater in the 70s, and she said she's she's never eaten popcorn in a movie theater ever again. Because, at least back in the day, I wouldn't be surprised if they still did this because all corporations are terrible, but they would um, take the unused popcorn, uneaten popcorn that had already been popped at the end of the night, and they would kind of shove it in plastic, like, trash bags, and then kind of, like, loosely tie it, and then kind of just throw it up into, like, the attic, which isn't really an attic because it's California, so it's more like where the insulation is, and then, like, the rats would kind of gnaw the bag open in the middle of the night, and the rats would, like, lick the popcorn and shit, and then the next morning you just bring it down, put some butter on that, some fake butter flavoring, pop it back in the hopper, and then people would pay $3 for it. So uh, plaster would not would probably be the least of your problems in popcorn in the 1970s. I think it's the point I'm trying to make here. Never go to the cinema again, huh? Uh, I mean, maybe we'll never be able to go back to yeah, the Yeah, I was going to say this I recently saw Scent of Mystery, which I think we should do on the podcast, so I can't I can't give too much away, but um, it's a Denim Elliott, uh, Peter Lorre movie from the 60s directed by Jack Cardiff and it's like smell-o-vision oh um, okay so it's like kind of like and, um, Shrek 4D yes exactly so it would also be played at theaters like the Cinerama Dome here in LA that um, have kind of like extended you know like surround screens like the Cinerama Dome screen is like curved you know yep. so it goes around you and so when you watch it on TV not only are the dimensions all fucked up because the movie was shot for a curved screen, also, like, the plot, it's a mystery where, like, some of the clues in the mystery are smells. So you're watching the movie, and parts of it are impossible to follow because, like, you're not getting whatever, you know what I mean? Like, Denim Elliot, like, because Scent of Mystery is, like, the name of a perfume. And so, like, when Denim Elliot is looking for the mystery woman throughout the movie... It's like different women are wearing different perfumes and like he recognizes like this. You would have been able to smell that in the movie theater, but you can't when you're watching TV. So we're watching the movie and we, have, we can't follow any of that shit. It doesn't make any fucking sense. So I, mean, I, like I to think, think that's that what's really way. missing from movies these days. Like the real like event spectacle of it all. I love a good gimmick. I love a good like William Castle, you know, Tingler style gimmick. Or like, you know, um, Clue, where it has the, yeah, go to a different theater, you get a different ending, kind of. I know, you have to make it special. 
Yeah. I feel like it's going to get even worse, though. I feel like after the pandemic, people will be so excited to just go back outside that they're going to, it's going to be like, they, they could play, like, it's going to be like 1903. You could play a, a clip of like a cow in a field and people <laughs> are going to be like, <laughs> they're going to be so excited to leave their houses. Well, for the brief window we could unlock, people were going to the cinema to see like movies that were like 15 years old um, because there's obviously no fucking movies out. And I was like, why the fuck would you spend any money to go see Bridesmaids at the cinema? Wasn't it like last week that the number one movie in North America was Empire Strikes Back? I believe that was the case from like drive-thrus and shit. At least Empire Strikes Back is like a movie. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. You know, at least it's a movie. I feel like I, uh, I don't know. I found my Master of Disguise DVD the other day. Talk about movies. Remember when they used to make real movies? Am I not turtly enough for the turtle club? But yeah, I think as far as this as a movie goes, it's an incredibly enjoyable endeavor. I mean, I'm I'm biased because disaster movies, even though this is technically more of a suspense film than a disaster movie, but disaster movie are my favorite kind of movie. I could watch any disaster movie and enjoy it, no matter how good or bad it is. The only one that I have not enjoyed is The Perfect Storm. Um, because it was just very stupid. But well, we've watched so many disaster movies, we've come to a point where we've kind of run out. And we're like... I've run out of disaster movies. There were, Well, the only one I haven't seen, like, I haven't seen a lot of the 70s ones because so many of them have Charlton Heston in them. <laughs> and I simply don't want to do that. But, like, there's just there needs to be more. I feel like in this climate it's the perfect time for disaster movies to be, you know, happening. Um, but I think that we're going to be getting a lot more, like, pandemic-based <laughs> disaster movies, like Outbreak and whatever. But this one is a very enjoyable movie. Like, fashions, music, cool, like, shots on top of roller coasters. It's got it all. George Siegel getting yelled at by children. Yep. Yeah. Timothy Bombs has those really cool sideburns, looking really cool. Wearing his jacket that he's been wearing to all of his bombings, so he better be dry cleaning that shit because it's gonna smell really bad. <laughs> I think this movie's a really interesting time capsule because a couple different things that we like we noted while we were watching. I mean, there's the obvious things like the fashions and the music and everything, but like all the theme park employees are children. Yeah, very strong child economy in the 1970s because minimum wage jobs at that point are still like occupied by teenagers, you know, making money for gas and to go to concerts and you know buy weed and stuff, and it's not like you know so many grown adults trying to support families um because by the 1970s minimum wage has, has changed in that sense and minimum wage is interesting the concept of minimum wage emerges as like a baseline level of support for a family of four and then it becomes like again like a like a, a thing for high schoolers and then it kind of goes back up to and you know this is for grown-ups and then you have like a financial crisis like in 2008 where all of a sudden it's like nobody gets hired as a teenager because there are adults who need jobs and it goes back to being like a teenage kid working at panda express kind of thing it's really weird i think it's a really good barometer i think uh of what's going on economically in the 1970s um even though there's obviously there's a recession and stuff in the 70s that goes on <laughs> there's like a recession and stuff that happens but um this depicts like a very strong youth culture even though none of the main characters are within that group <laughs> yeah it, but at the same time yeah like it's bookended also by the fact that like there's the very first like when you right away when you meet timothy bottoms there's like a side a long reference to Vietnam, you know, yeah. he's like doing a little sharpshooting thing at this carnival booth. And then the kid who's working, it goes like, oh, you, who, so you say you? kid, it's definitely was... not a kid. 
It's a well. It's an adult man, Carney. <laughs> it's an adult man, Carney. It's like 101st Airborne over you, and then like uh, Timothy Bottoms just kind of smiles and walks away. But it's like, oh right, Timothy Bottoms is of an age where it's like he's not one of these teeny boppers of the theme park. The man would have the character. I don't know. I don't know about Timothy Bottoms in real life. I don't think Timothy Bottoms went to Nam because he was a, a, a movie actor. Um, but the guy would have gone to Vietnam. I mean, it's just it's a really interesting. I, I don't know. I don't know. Vietnam makes has a relatively small impact on on films of the era because politically it's such a polarizing issue that it feels like at one point in the 1970s you either have movies that are about war or that completely ignore that element of the decade. So it's so you have, kind of have these weird like throwaway references. I don't know. It's do you strange. think it's it um, something to do with the fact that it was such a divisive? thing that a lot of people were really against especially at the time that it kind of all wrapped up um particularly in regards to their treatment of veterans and just not giving a fuck about them and the fact that it was so deeply unpopular especially in that time that it's just not a subject that is properly broached at least for a few years until we reach like apocalypse now and which is directly about vietnam not so much what happened after or, like, two veterans. Yeah, so it is interesting to see it mentioned so casually in this context. And then Timothy Bottoms gives no answer for that. He's just like, hmm, see you, dude, and dips out of there, ready to go see his carnage. So, like, we ne- we don't know. Maybe Timothy Bottoms is a Vietnam veteran. We just don't know. We don't know. We just don't. We'll never know. Concept, I, I just thought of song parodies or something that I think we should be moving into at a certain point, just because we don't have any respect for intellectual property. Uh, I was thinking Betty Davis eyes, but instead it's, it's Timmy Bottoms eyes. <laughs> I think that would be really funny because he's got kind of the opposite of a Betty Davis eye situation. You know, he's just got those little peepers. <laughs> like on the scale of eyes, there's like on one end, there's like Timothy Bottoms. And then on the other hand, it's like, it's like other side, it's like Betty Davis kind of in the middle is like a Steve Buscemi who's like. They're bug eyes, but, like, not huge. That's a very yeah. important distinction. Sometimes people think he's got large eyes. He doesn't really have large eyes. He's just got bug eyes. It's kind of like the Peter Lorre thing. If you if you drew a caricature of Peter Lorre, it would look like he has large eyes. But really, that's just that's just the bulging. They're really not large, particularly large eyes. I know also Peter Lorre had, like, a small head. Yeah, he was a tiny man. He was a he was a, he was a tiff sized right. individual. All right, He's very small. How tall is Timothy Bottoms? Siri, Siri, how tall is Timothy Bottoms? The fourth host, Siri. Timothy Bottoms is five feet eleven inches. I tall. thought it was going to stop at five feet. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> when I started saying how tall is Timothy, it it went to Timoth- Timothy, like Timothy, like Timothy Chalamet, because like I guess that's what everyone's asking Siri about. <laughs> Siri, how tall is George Siegel? I found this on the web. That's not an answer. <laughs> Who knows how tall George Siegel is? I don't know. Is he as tall as Timothy Bottoms? He's 5'11". They match. Like footmen. Uh, if, excuse me. I, I got a result for uh, celebheights.com, and the picture of George Siegel is not actually George Siegel. It's a picture of Richard Woodmark. Uh, <laughs> which is a bit of a coincidence. So, Well, unless they know something that we don't know. Have you ever seen the two of them in the same room together? Not in Roller Coaster? I haven't. Because Richard Widmark's been dead a very long time. Siri, how tall was Richard Widmark? Richard Widmark was 5 feet, 10 inches tall. Siri, how tall is Richard Widmark now? <laughs> Here's what I found. That's not... <laughs> Siri doesn't know the length of his his skeleton. What else? What does she know? Well, I mean, we can ask um, George Siegel because he's still alive. Yeah, ask him how long Richard Widmark's skeleton is. <laughs> <laughs> 
almost Richard Widmark without any of the fleshy padding or organ. Not that you'd have any organs that would make your skeleton. Unless you had a lot of flesh volume, I guess. Really dense. Dense dermis. <laughs> I can't wait for you to hear yourself saying I don't even this. listen to this podcast. I don't even listen to it because I can't. I'm so embarrassed. This is like when you asked me earlier to repeat my horrifying truth about George <laughs> Siegel. It's too embarrassing for me to... This podcast goes out onto the airwaves and it's like sending your child off to war. They might never come home. <laughs> um, does go. anyone have anything else to say about... Uh, roller coaster. I was just gonna say, I think this is really worth watching. If only if you're only gonna watch it for one reason, the um, it's not really a montage because it's not like they're distinct, like discrete scenes. But the whole segment of the movie where it's just George Siegel looking bored on different <laughs> rides at Kings Dominion is really good. Like when he's on the the safari ride and he's kind of just like looking out the window, like bored dad at a theme park waiting to find his child. Except that's not what's going on in the movie because he doesn't know where Helen Hunt is or care. No, he doesn't. Really. And he gets all of his news from the lining of a hamster cage. So he struggles. Uh, so, yeah, let's rate the movie. Okay, well, Tiff, how many Civil War-themed roller coasters would you give this out of 10? I think maybe like a 6.5. I love it, but it's very long and the Helen Hunt parts are dumb. <laughs> um, Candace, how many scared priests staring down the barrel of Richard Widmark's gun would you give this movie out of 10? Seven and a half. I think it's an excellent specimen of its genre. I think it is a really fun piece of kitschy 70s filmmaking. And I love Richard Widmark's massive novelty tie. Amelia, how many Radio Shack uh, Baby's First bombing kits would you give this movie out of 10? I'm going to give it... A 7 out of 10, purely because I'm very partial to disaster movies. And I think that all these shots of the roller coaster, like, exploding are very good. I also think that it ending the way that it does is also extremely good. More films should end that way. <laughs> it's just like, all right, all finished. That's done. Okay. <laughs> On to the next one. <laughs> that's one of my favorite endings and that happened all the time in the 1970s like they couldn't they just decided to just end it there that's what happens at the end of spoiler alert i guess um of three days of the condor like robert redford tells cliff robertson like if you guys try to have me killed i have all my evidence in the hands of the editors over at the new york times and cliff robertson is like what makes you think that the new york times would ever publish it don't you think that they're like on the take from the cia like don't you think they listen to the federal government's orders and then robert redford's kind of like hmm weird and then he just walks away <laughs> and you never know you never know i think it was really good i think we should bring back the idea of just ending something when you don't have anything more to say much much like this podcast i guess everybody everybody thank you for listening um we did get <laughs> get a comment talking about me saying that we don't have any listeners and then saying that yes there are people listening it's like yeah i know that people are listening and i'm very appreciative for all of our listeners it's just me you know just me like damn it i don't mean it i do but um thank you everybody for listening we do appreciate every single one of you um we just we just like to hear from you more 
Also, Amelia's Australian, so you can't take anything she says seriously. We have Absolutely. all three of us, I would say, kind of a self-deprecating manner. Yeah. And it's it's cool. Like, we're good. We're, we're having fun. And we really appreciate everyone who listens and every message we get, even if we don't reply because we're really, really bad at social media stuff. But we do read them and we love them and we love you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, we started the podcast primarily as just as a, as a, a venue, I guess, um, for us don't to talk about. Don't lie. We started this podcast out of spite. So. I, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well. But yeah, this is this is just a place that, like, I mean, I, you've probably guessed if you're still listening by now, we just use this to talk shit about movies. And they're not even movies people care about. So, I mean, if you're listening, we, we very much appreciate that you're on the same level as us. This is also a horrifying concept, but for a long time, people really wanted to know what we thought about movies. And then we started the podcast and maybe they don't want to know anymore. <laughs> but... Uh... And, and I mean, it would just, it, it's just our luck that a global pandemic happened that has stopped people commuting and thus not listening to podcasts. That's, I'm sure that's the only reason why we haven't made it big yet. But yeah, everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, stay safe out there. Definitely wear a mask. Uh, it's not a political statement not to wear one. Stay at home. Maybe send us a message about a film you'd like us to cover. Um, yes. We'd like to hear what you think. Uh, and if there's a particular... I am fresh out of ideas until yeah. we do if there's a St. Particular... Valentine's Day Massacre in February. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe you've got a you've got a, an actor that we haven't given uh, an opinion on that you'd like to hear us give an opinion on. So yeah, just send us on any of our social media channels at BasketPod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, write and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. Um, cause I've been told that helps. I haven't seen any evidence of that, but yeah, stay safe, everybody. Stay healthy. Stay sexy. <laughs> All right. Bye. Next word that came to mind. Okay. <laughs> bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>next strangers though when we go to disneyland because most things at disneyland are two-seaters um so. no i think you'll find i will be bringing wrong spoons as <laughs> our fourth guest i'll reassemble just him pop that chili bin um like it's be like weekend at bernie's and he'll just ride next to me sure it'll be a bit confusing on what like pirates of the caribbean or whatever when they have all skeletons but like whatever we'll make it work talk about a field trip what a field trip for ronk <laughs> he hasn't been to disneyland in a long time <laughs> no we don't even know if he's bones still. Is he? What if I he's mean, cremated? he would have to be bones. It's a really big plot. It's a really big, like, tomb, for lack of a better word, um, for somebody who's been cremated. But, I mean, he was larger than life. Maybe that's just a reflection of Because they have, they have cremation niche is at, uh, at Hollywood Forever. Like, that's where, off the top of my head, Eleanor Powell is. And he's got a full ass, like a full on, he's just hanging out. He's just laying there. He got his little, his little hands crossed, <laughs> crossed his chest. Tiff did find the picture of him in his castle. Oh, fuck. You know, I blocked that out. Thank you. He is unrecognizable. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you die. Really. Uh, 